It's my pleasure to be with you, so good morning and welcome. We are so glad uh, to be worshiping with you this Advent season. Today we are in week two of a series called Glory to God, Peace on Earth, taking from the Luke chapter 2 passage where the angels proclaim the coming of the Messiah as a baby uh, to Jerusalem, to Israel, at Bethlehem. Last week, Matt led us through the first part of this verse, chapter 2, verse 14, where he talked at length about the glory of God from cover to cover of the Bible. And he talked at length, at least as I walked away from it, with this idea that it is the goodness of God to display the glory of God to us, that we might behold him, and in so beholding him, become like him from one degree of glory to the next. This is an incredibly profound idea, and the glory of God weaves its way throughout Scripture in a very intentional and on-time kind of way. And at the end of it, uh, the, the takeaway for me was that we were made to behold the glory of God, to be enraptured by it, to worship Him as He has revealed Himself. And in our beholding Him, we become like Him, little Christians, as they were first called at Antioch, little And if that were not enough, it is then paired with, in Luke chapter 2, this idea that on earth there would be peace among those with whom God is pleased. But that finds its root or it finds its substance all the way back up in verse 10. And we're going to look at 2, 9 through 14 in just a few moments. But the angel says this, that it is good news of great joy that will be for all the peoples. That this wasn't just a small group thing. This wasn't just a Jewish thing. This was meant to be the coming of the king for all the peoples of the world with whom God would be pleased with. This is incredibly important to know that when the angels showed up that night at Christmas time, several thousand years ago, these good news or these glad tidings literally were the gospel being preached to the first time to the lowliest and most unsuspecting of people, the shepherds in the fields. What then is this good news, these glad tidings, as we often think of it, is the hope of the gospel that they proclaim us the Messiah has finally come. The Christ is here, and with him the glory of God has shown up in a way that no one expected him to. And with that, there would now be peace on earth for all the peoples. As I said, not just for the Jews, not just for those who had it put together, not just for those who followed all of the law, but peace to all nations, to all peoples in a way that they could not come up with or manufacture on their own. Just as last week, Matt worked from cover to cover, kind of big picture narrative over the course of the Bible of what it looked like for the glory of God to show up when and where and how it did. What this, this morning I'd like to do is kind of follow in that same pattern of looking at peace from cover to cover of the good news of Jesus Christ coming and bringing this idea of what the Jews would have known as shalom or wholeness or completeness, finding its fulfillment in the person, work, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Peace in the garden, kind of from the very beginning, this idea that before creation there was chaos, there was turmoil, things weren't as they should be, and God speaks, and immediately shalom is the word that happens when peace comes into the wilderness or into the cosmos or into the vastness that was uncreated in that moment, and God day in, day out, rhythmically creates 
peace and order or shalom in the garden. And he puts Adam and Eve in the midst of his shalom, that they would work together in perfect fellowship with one another and with God, things being exactly as he intended it to be, with no diseases, no death, no loss, no pain, no hunger, no shame, no arguments on the way to church, no fighting, no anything that was not as God intended it to be. The shalom of God was present and they worked in perfect harmony with one another and with him. And so when we think about peace from the very beginning over and over and over again, it is this thread of things as God intended them to be for his creation. But Adam and Eve believed a lie. The lie that said, you can be like God if you will do these things. And they believed the lie and they cherished it in their hearts, which is the definition of sin, is choosing anything to cherish more so than God himself. And they cherished the idea that they could be like the creator. And the shalom of God, things as they were perfectly meant to be, is broken and lost in that moment. And if you believe that Adam and Eve were representative heads of all of us that would come thereafter, then we too have inherited a genetic disease that is called sin that we can no longer do anything about. And the idea at its very core is that shalom has been forfeited for a lie, for a fraud, for an imposter. But when we think about peace, we tend to think of it very differently than Jews would have thought about peace, the way they would have heard it uh, in their day. Western minds hear it and we think of treaties, we think of agreements, we think on summits on this, we think of nuclear deals, we think of the news, we think of what happens if there's no peace in that scenario, all of those types of things. And that goes all the way back to the time of the Romans. The Roman peace was world famous for keeping their empire together. And it was basically under threat of domination if you chose to revolt or rebel, which the Jews had time and time and time and time again done or and or thought about, but in the event that you chose to not live as peacefully as the Romans would have you, then an entire legion of soldiers would have shown and devastated your entire village, town, or city. And all of that was held together by an inordinate amount of taxes from all over the empire coming back into Rome. So we find our understanding of peace with this idea of just agreements that kind of keep things together, at least from the outside or at least in part. Rabbi Robert Kahn, who is from Houston, Texas, he distinguishes the two, the idea of our understanding of peace and the idea of biblical shalom. He distinguishes them in these ways. He says, one can dictate a peace, but shalom is a mutual agreement. Peace is a temporary pact. Shalom is a permanent agreement. One can make a peace treaty, but shalom is the condition of peace. Peace can be negative or the absence of problem or commotion, while shalom is positive, the presence of tranquility, serenity, things as they should be. Peace can be partial or piecemeal, but shalom is whole and it is complete. What I have come to be convinced of in our day, especially if you look at the news for 37 seconds, is that if there's one thing that is true, It is that world peace cannot be legislated, it cannot be bought, it cannot be wished enough for. What the world longs for and what we rejected in the garden is shalom. And shalom is from God alone. We have rejected things as God intended them to be. As I dug into this this week, I realized that shalom was really just an understood reality for Jews. For them, it was 
uh, this, how God intended things to be and the way things were woven together in their fabric and in their culture. It was really, as I've read about it, it was really more a condition of what things were like when you were right with God and with your neighbor, things being woven together as they should be. But peace throughout the Old Testament has several different facets to it. And I want to look just very briefly at those. And I get that if you're like a Shalom guy and an Old Testament scholar, I'm going to skip over a ton of things for you this morning. I just want to paint a big picture, kind of wide swath of what it is that we mean when we say peace in this world. In Genesis 15, God establishes a covenant with Abram and he tells him that if you obey the covenant, I will uphold my end of things and you will live a good long life and die in Shalom, you will die in peace. In Numbers chapter six, God tells Moses to have Israel or to have Aaron bless Israel by saying that the face of God, the very countenance of God, the the presence of God would look upon you and that that would bring you peace and shalom. Throughout the Bible, we see people being sent out in peace, being greeted in peace, that it would go well with them. David and other psalmists, they talk at length about peace with other nations, with their neighbors, with their enemies, within even their own families. And so all throughout the Old Testament, we see that there is peace with God and there's peace with others. But Shalom goes even deeper than that. Isaiah chapter 26, he says this, that you keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on you because he trusts in you. You see, Shalom was peace with God as he intended it to be, peace with our neighbors as he intended it to be, and peace within our own heart, mind, and soul as God intended it to be. But Israel experiences glimpses of this, moments of this, uh, but never a, a full restoration of these things. They were not living as things should be, and the law, the sacrifices, the kings, the judges, the prophets, all of them, none of it could get its full arms wrapped around the thing that they longed for most, and that was for things to be made right and made whole once again for the shalom of God to come. And so from the very beginning, when Adam and Eve reject the Father, when they walk away from and choose to believe a lie and choose to go after their own way, there is an incredible promise in Scripture as God meets them right after their sin, and he's talking to them, and he's talking to the serpent. He says this to the serpent, that he, the one who will come, the promised one, the one who will fix all of this and restore things to the way they should be, he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. That yes, he will be victorious, but there will be a significant cost that he will pay. And sending Adam and Eve out of the garden, they left with the promise of the one who would come and finally vindicate and crush their, vindicate themselves and crush their enemy. And even in their darkest hour, their deepest moment of need, hope was on the horizon. The prophets, all that, that came that would come after, as Israel becomes a nation and then chooses to go their own way again, rejecting their king, the prophets time and time again calling the people of God to remember the promises of God, not just in this moment, but in the coming Messiah. Isaiah says this in chapter nine, verses six through seven. And this phrase that we're gonna look at is so rote sometimes in our mind, especially around Christmas. But I want you to remember that this person that Isaiah is talking about, he is the one who is being proclaimed that night to the shepherd on a cold, dark hill while they were watching over their sheep. It says this in verse six, for to us, a child is born and to us, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, 
everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. His name is peace. His name is Shalom. This is who he is and where he goes, Shalom goes with him. So when the son leaves his throne and comes into the world and takes on human form, peace is the banner that is over him and the flag that goes before him as his kingdom comes. And everywhere he goes, Shalom goes with him. It's the marker of his kingdom come and coming in and around the world. And Isaiah says that it is the zeal of the Lord, the passion of the Lord, the deep commitment to his own fame, glory, and bringing a people to himself. It is the zeal of the Lord that will bring peace amidst the chaos, wholeness, things as they should be amidst the broken. And the question then is how? How does he do this? Isaiah goes on in chapter 53, verses four through five, when he says, Surely he has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. You see, all of the law, all of the sacrifices, all of the the bringing in repentance to the temple, all of it was a shadow. All of it was a glimpse. All of it was a look forward into the one who would finally fully bring peace by taking on himself the punishment, the chastisement, the ridicule, the judgment of God over sin in our lives. And it fruit is that it brings us peace. And with his wounds, we are in fact healed. You see, Israel, when Isaiah is saying that, they don't yet know that. They haven't yet seen that. They don't yet know that the person that we know of and the person and work of Jesus Christ. They don't have the privilege or in some, some ways the negative side effects of being all too familiar with this baby born at Christmas time, and yet we do. And so this morning, my hope and prayer is that we would fully set our eyes on the fact that the glory of the one who is on this throne for eternity past now comes into this world as a baby that you might know the peace that he has always known. And Israel's hope was that this would finally happen, that this would be true. And the New Testament writers show the fulfillment of this hope in Christ. Peace has come, and by him it is given. And because of that, his to the ends of the earth. That's the goal. That's why we are still here. Our life is meant to be about taking the good news, the glad tidings, the hope of peace and reconciliation with God to the ends of the earth. And then, Matthew says, the end will come. So this hope, and oftentimes probably lost and forgotten hope that Israel was longing for is the underlying theme going on when the shepherds hear these words in Luke chapter 2. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby 
wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The glory of the angel shows up and as Matt talked about last week, he immediately reminds them, hey, fear not. And the gospel is proclaimed to them that day. First to them that day, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the peoples. And the shepherds, after hearing the news, the glory, the glory and peace have come for all the people. They go and they see Jesus asking to question all people, even, even me. And the answer overarchingly throughout Scripture is yes, even for you, because all peoples is all peoples, all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all amount of brokenness, all amount of pain, all amount of not having it put together, all the peoples that they would believe that he has come. And the invitation to faith that night is both stark and clear in the cold night sky. And all that you have hoped for, all that you have longed for, all that you have looked in other places for finds its face in Jesus, who is your Prince of Peace. His name is Peace. His name is Jesus. Would you come and see? What Jesus began in his earthly ministry in the decades thereafter, he continues to this day, and throughout his ministry, he makes it incredibly clear that he is coming, and with him is coming the zeal of the kingdom of of God. And the message from the very beginning of Mark's gospel throughout all of the gospels is, would you repent? Would you turn away from a way that is contradictory to the way that I long for you? And would you believe that the kingdom is at hand? Would you believe that with that kingdom comes forgiveness? Would you believe that with that kingdom comes healing? Would you believe that with that kingdom comes good news for the lost? And for everybody, it brings peace on earth with whom he is pleased. Paul summed up this peace in several ways, but in Colossians chapter one, he says this, that through him, Jesus, he has reconciled to himself all things and whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Make no mistake about it, that the peace of God, which is free for you, cost Jesus everything. The peace of God, the being made right with God, the restoration of shalom in this life in part, knowing that that is a foretaste of what is coming in eternity with him, that it cost Jesus everything. And now as believers, we didn't come in this morning wondering, I wonder if I can get a pigeon on the way. Or should we take a lamb with us because it's been a pretty rough week in the language department or however I've treated my kids or whatever the case is, right? Now, none of that was true for us. We just showed up because we knew that Jesus is here among the people of God and we worship freely with that people because he is our peace. To the Ephesians, Jesus said, Jesus himself, he is our peace because that's who he is. And where he goes, shalom goes with him. And he paid our way that we might know him and the glory of the Father whom he has been sent by. But the command then is still the same today. Would you repent? Would you turn from? Would you walk away from the way of this world and look fully into the eyes of a father who loves you and a son who paid the price for you that you might be at peace with him and with your neighbor and with your spouse and with your kids, no matter how bad it seems? That is the hope that we profess at Christmas. That is the person we worship. He is our Prince of Peace. 
I love throughout the Gospels when we see people kind of catch hold of this, when we see glimmers of people's lives just being completely broken because of the gospel in terms of what it does. Several chapters later in Luke chapter 7, we see this this moment where this woman who has a less than stellar reputation shows up at her dinner party and all she cares about is pouring out her gift that she's paid for onto Jesus and anointing his feet in this incredibly beautiful way. And at the end of it in verse 50, he says this, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. And the fruit then is this, go in peace. You see, oftentimes I find myself in encounters with Jesus and I go with a certain sense of things I have to do now. I have this long laundry list of, okay, Jesus, I'm so glad you did that. Now I'm gonna prove to you that it was worth dying for me by doing all of these things. And Jesus, time and time and time again, just says, no, would you just go in shalom? Would you go as I intended you to, to, walking as my brother and as a son of the Father? Jesus tells her that it is her faith that has saved her, not her works. But in going in peace, would you now live from a place of being saved with good works? That's the beauty of the gospel is we have not been saved by them, but we have been saved for them. So would we live a life that is full of glory for the goodness of the people around us and for the praise of the one who has made us at peace with himself. My prayer this morning is that you would hear that invitation today, that you would hear that call from Jesus, that regardless of all of the striving, of all of the trying to pull it together, regardless of how stressful last week is and how much you're thinking about how stressful the next few weeks are going to be, would you just take a deep breath and remember that he is your peace, that he is the one who has saved you and paid for you. Above all of the chaos, above all of the noise, above all of the notifications from your phone, which is a different sermon, above all of the stuff of this life, would you just behold him? Would you see him on the cross? Would you see him paying the price for you that you might know in this life just a taste of what eternity will be like. Bring so much calm and peace to you that you go, that. Jesus, you, and only you in this season. My prayer this season for our family is that our kids would just know, just, just a taste of that amidst all of the things and the VR headsets and the hoverboards and the everything else that's on their Christmas list, that they would just know in some small way this peace that comes from him above because I can't give it to them. I can't buy it for them. I can't convince them of it. I can show them. I can point them. I can remind them. I can encourage them. I can read with them. I can pray with them. I can continue to tell them of the goodness, but my prayer is that the spirit would just so overwhelm them with his peace that amidst all of the stuff, they would even at eight, six, and four start to realize it's really not about this. It's about him. And it's about my life being fully and always submitted to him. Because today, a child is born and a savior who is for all peoples, even you with everything you came in with this morning. There has been a savior born for all peoples, all nations, all tribes. And his call is the same then as it is today. Would you just come? Would you come and know me? Would you come and follow me? Eugene Peterson says that 
Jesus' desire for his disciples was that they would follow him and learn just these, this idea of the unforced rhythms of what it means to keep in step with him by the power of his spirit. And I believe Jesus so deeply desires that for his sons and daughters today that we would walk and learn how to walk in this unforced rhythm of grace that he has called us into. And the gift of faith, the fruit that comes from believing in him and following him is very simply this, my peace I give to you, so would you go in peace? Your faith has saved you. None of this other stuff has saved you. Your faith in me and what I have done has saved you. Would you walk in that today? Would you behold the glory of God? And would you receive his peace in your life today? Would you believe that by faith in Jesus beholding him, by gazing on his glory, by gazing on his goodness and beauty, that that is meant to always bring you peace. Peace with God, peace with your neighbor, peace with your spouse, and within your own heart, mind, and soul. Over the course of the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at what the fruit of that looks like in our life, especially as we lean into this Christmas season. But this morning, I just want to ask the question and invite you as Jesus invites you into, do you believe by faith that he is who he says he is? Do you believe by faith that he is the Prince of Peace and your Prince of Peace? Have you been following after other gods only to have them fail you as they always will? This morning, would you consider Jesus? Would you behold your King? Would you see and savor your Prince as he sits on his throne ruling and reigning? And then ask the question, Jesus, what what keeps me from seeing you? What hinders peace in my life? What brings about a sense of anxiety and instead of a a sense of deep settled shalom in my soul? We don't have to look far for that, but really ask that and then say, Jesus, I don't want this. Would you just, just do that very simply before the day is done today? And that may mean you need to ask for forgiveness. That may mean you need to seek reconciliation, but I believe this with all of my heart in increasing measure as I get older, is that God intends for us to walk more fully in shalom today than we did yesterday. And because of the blood of Jesus, it's already paid for. It is in full. Now we're just having to orient our life around the reality that we have been loved so much that we are now sons and daughters of God. And stop acting like that wasn't true. Stop acting like we are still orphans when we've been called beloved by God. Prince of peace is our king. And he sits on his throne ruling and reigning. So would you lean into who he is in the weeks ahead and with all of your life, turning from the things that hinder peace in your life, giving them back to Jesus and saying, I don't want this. There's no fruit in it. There's no life in it. There's only life. There's only fruit. There's only peace. There's only shalom in you. You are my king. Would you behold him this morning? Would you worship him and him alone with your life. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, you are so wonderful. You are so beautiful. You are so kind and gracious and generous. And you laid down your life that we might have life. You came from heaven because there was no other way. And you didn't have to. You could have started over. You could have done any number of things. And yet, Jesus, you showed up. And you entered into our mess. You took on our iniquity. You took on our infirmities. You took on our brokenness and on our pain. And you made a way for us to know 
your father, now our father. And it is by him that we have been given your spirit, that we cry out, Abba, Father. This morning, Father, we pray that you would just remind us of how much you've accomplished for us and how much you've done in making a way by your blood shed on the cross for us that you have now, because of that, become our peace. And all of the prophets and all of the law and all of the sacrifices, Jesus, would you just help us be in awe of the fact that you are the fulfillment of all of those things. For thousands of years, the people of God hoped for you and now we have seen you, we have beheld you. Lord, would you just bring us back to a place of awe, of worship of you this Christmas season. With this Advent, as we prepare our hearts for your coming, Lord, would we just remind ourselves that there will be a day where we will no longer hope. There will be a day where we will no longer look forward. There will no no longer be a day where we have faith because our faith will be our eyes and we will see you and behold you as you are. Father, would we follow you with everything we have today? We love you, Jesus. We worship you. We pray this in your strong and mighty name. Thanks again for listening this week. You can find out more about Grace Auburn Church online at graceauburn.church.